Last night, basically, I was just trying to show how important love is. And a lot of people have sidestepped this and they can't understand why things in their Christian life aren't working better. And it's because God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And if you are going to really walk in God and receive what God has available for you, you have to learn to walk in love, not only with God, but with your fellow man. We also use scriptures out of 1 John that says, if you say that you love God whom you haven't seen, and yet you can't love men whom you have seen, then the truth isn't in you. You're deceiving your own self. And I don't say any of these things to criticize, but brothers and sisters, I believe that there's a lot of people right here in this room that if we were to take the admonitions given in 1 John chapter 4, we'd have to say, you know what? I'm not walking in love with other people. And so I must be deceiving myself that I'm really walking in the love of God. You know, to teach on the love of God is really hard. Because that's a phrase that we throw around and everybody says, oh, I know that God loves me. And then they act just as mean as a snake and they're discouraged and they're depressed. And all of those things are mutually exclusive. You know, if you truly knew how much God loved you, you would be filled with all the fullness of God. I didn't use that verse last night, but that's out of Ephesians chapter 3. And in verses 14 through 19, the Apostle Paul prayed a prayer that you would understand the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth and know the love of God which passes knowledge. Now that sounds like a contradiction. How can you know it if it passes knowledge? There are two different kinds of knowing. One is just an intellectual knowing, just facts, information. And the other one is talking about that you would experience in an intimate, close, personal way the love of God. So he's praying that you would experience the love of God which passes mere knowledge about it. And it says if you do that, then you will be filled with all the fullness of God. So you could read that verse from the end to the back and say it this way, that if you aren't filled with all the fullness of God, which includes healing, prosperity, joy, peace, victory, hope, all of those things, if you don't have those things in their fullness, then you aren't experiencing the knowledge of God. You may have mere head knowledge of it, but you aren't experiencing it because when you are living in the presence of God, when you're enjoying the love of God, nothing else matters. And you know, I could go back and preach last night's message all over again. I really need to move on. I got some other things I want to say, but most people don't understand how important love is. And I'm telling you, I went through Vietnam. I'm not going to give this testimony. I better just quit. But I could show you that it's just like being in a bubble. God can protect you from things. When you are living in the love of God and experiencing it, not just knowing about it, but experiencing it, it just it inoculates you against all of the things of this world. It just changes you. And I can tell by the fruit in people's life that they don't have this experiential knowledge of the Word of God because they come up and they're obsessing and depressed and discouraged over relatively minor things. And it's because they aren't focused on how much God loves them. You know, people come up and this person didn't say hi to me and they're just shattered over it. And I think, you know, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. You know, I just... But but this person didn't say something to me. You know what? That is a person who isn't enjoying the love of God. If you knew how much God loved you in a relative sense, you really wouldn't care much about what anybody else has to say. I've had people come to me before and say, my wife or my husband just doesn't love me. And I say, so what? (laughs) And they're just shattered. Well, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know what? They don't love me either. And it doesn't disturb me. They say, but you aren't married to them. Well, that's true. And I admit that, you know, if you're married to them, there ought to be more love going on than there is necessarily for me. But if you are enjoying the love of God, you can reach a place to, who cares if your husband or wife hates you? God loves you. I talked to a man after the meeting last night, or maybe it was this morning, but he came up and he says, I'm going through a divorce and I'm struggling with some of this. And I said, what I'm talking about works for you. If you were to think about... How much God loves you. And, you know, I can guarantee you that, you know, the divorce may not have been your fault, but I'm sure there was things you did wrong. And she had some justification for leaving you. I said, you know, you you can either focus on her rejection 
and the broken relationship, and if you do that, you're going to be discouraged. Or you could look beyond that and say, Father, I know that I don't do everything right with you, and you probably deserve to divorce me, but you've promised that you'd never leave me nor forsake me. And you could focus on the fact that God will never divorce you. He's engraving you upon the palms of His hands. And if you were to think about that, you could be rejoicing in the midst of a divorce. That thank you, Father, you're going to treat me better than this. If nothing else, you could take that scripture that says in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And you could say, thank you, Jesus. It's only temporary. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I'm not going to have marriage problems throughout all eternity. Amen. You could rejoice in that. You can always be rejoicing. When your focus is on the right things, you can rejoice regardless of what's going on. Anyway, I just nearly re-preached all of that. And then this morning... We started talking about that you can't give away what you don't have. And so I talked about that, first of all, you need to experience God's love for yourself before you can start loving other people. And this is one of the major mistakes in the Christian realm today is that often we will teach about how you're supposed to turn the other cheek, how you're supposed to forgive, how you're supposed to do all of these things towards other people, but then we don't receive it for ourselves. And it's impossible for you to give away what you haven't received. If you aren't walking in an unconditional love of God, you won't be able to give it to other people. You'll give them what you believe in your heart. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And if you think God is giving you what you deserve, and when you mess up, God is quick to judge you, and He's not going to answer your prayer, and He's going to turn the cold shoulder to you and not fellowship with you until you start doing everything right, you'll wind up reproducing that in your mate. And some of you are treating your mate exactly the way you believe that God treats you when you mess up. If you would understand the unconditional love of God and receive that for yourself, then you'd be able to turn around and love other people in a way that you never have. So really, uh, we could spend all week, month, year talking about God's unconditional love for us and that it blesses. us. But I'm specifically wanting to major on how to walk in love towards other people. But these other things that I've said, you've got to understand how important love is, that it's indispensable, and that you need to pursue it until you get a greater revelation of God's love for you. And then you also need to recognize how much He loves you for yourself. You've got to receive it and personalize it first before you can give it to other people. So all that being said... If we lived in a perfect world and if everybody treated you perfectly, if everybody lived like Jesus, if you lived like Jesus, there would be no conflict and everything would just be wonderful. But that is not the case. We live in a fallen world. Anybody not figured that out yet? (laughs) And there are more than enough people who make themselves available to the devil to rub you the wrong way. And you are going to have problems and people are going to offend you and problems are going to happen. So... What I want to begin to talk about the rest of this week is how do you deal with it when there is problems, when there's problems in relationship, when somebody does something and all of these things happen. When you've got this turmoil going on, how do you continue to walk in love when everything isn't lovely? How do you love the unlovely? How do you love people that have wronged you? And we're going to spend the rest of the week talking about some form or another about how you do that. And I tell you, I think this is going to really help you. What I want to get across tonight, I'm going to present tonight four possibilities of what you do to assess the situation when you've got strife between you and somebody else. And I may not get to all four of these tonight. And uh, it'll probably surprise you what, what the fourth one of these is. All right, but the first thing, when you have strife, when there's problems between you and somebody else, you've got to evaluate... What's the problem? Or who's the problem? What is the source of it? You know, it would be similar to if you had some type of a sickness. You just don't go to the doctor and they give you one standard pill for everything. Before they give you any treatment or pill, they're supposed to diagnose what the cause of the illness is. And there's people that die all of the time because they get misdiagnosis and they give you something that you didn't need and they don't treat the real problem. And this is happening in relationships all of the time. Most people misdiagnose what the problem is in a relationship and what's going on. So this tonight is to start the process of diagnosing. How do you determine where the problem is? And it doesn't matter if it's talking about a marriage. It doesn't, talk about, it doesn't matter if it's a friendship. It doesn't matter if it's somebody at work. Anybody, anything. You've got to be able to diagnose what's the problem. So here's four options. 
Four possible things. Anytime you have strife or problems between you and somebody else, there's four potential answers to that. The first one is, is it you that caused the problem? Now, I'm putting that first because that's usually the last or one thing that most people don't even consider. Most people don't even really think, oh, it couldn't be me. People laugh at that, but that's really not funny. It's sad to say, but most of us, most of us are just convinced that everybody else is our problem. And our society today has blown this out of proportion. It's been going on throughout all of history. Like when Adam and Eve sinned and God came and says, what have you done? Adam says, it's that woman that you gave me. He passed the buck to Eve and says it was her fault. And then he says, God, you gave her to me. It's your fault. And you know what? So from the Garden of Eden, people were passing the buck and making somebody else responsible for what they did. And so it's always been around. But in our society today, it has been taken to the ridiculous, to the extreme, to where nobody is accountable for anybody, anything. I mean, if you're an alcoholic, it's not your fault. You've got a gene that makes you susceptible to things and you just can't help it. They even, they're talking about, well, I'm not even going to go there. This is kind of a pet peeve with me, but I tell you, we are so gullible today. We just listen to anything and everything. They have excuses for everything. There is nobody responsible for anything anymore. It's my dysfunctional family. It's somebody else. It's this. It's the government. And Oh, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. How dumb can we get and still breathe? You know, the truth is, you may have had something happen to you that didn't happen to me, but you aren't a dog, an animal that is just a hunk of chemicals and doesn't have the image of God on the inside of you and you can't help it, you just respond to stimuli. No, you are a human being. You were created in the image of God and you have a choice whether you become bitter or better. Nobody can make you anything without your consent and cooperation. If you are hurt and bitter, you allowed that person to hurt you. Thank you for both of those amens. <laughs> See, again, this isn't popular and this is not what people teach. And they say, But you just don't know what they did. You know what? I've had terrible things done to me. And yet, I, nobody's going to rent space in my mind. Amen. Nobody's going to occupy my heart that I don't want in there. You could come... I've had people spit in my face while I was preaching to them. And uh, I've got witnesses to this that I never missed a word in the sentence. I just wiped it off. A big old wad of chewing tobacco. And I just wiped it off and kept talking. I never missed a word in the sentence. You know what? You can't make me mad without me letting you make me mad. I am not an animal that just responds. And if you do this, I can't help it. I can choose how I feel. I can choose what my responses are. And so I'm saying all of this to say that we have basically advocated responsibility and control over ourselves, and most people feel like I'm just powerless. I can't help it. This happened. You don't understand. I was abused when I was a kid. I was sexually abused, and so I've got to be a mess the rest of my life. No, you don't. You can be born again. You've become a new person. You can renew your mind, and you can act just as if nothing has ever happened to you. I was in a church in Ohio and I was ministering along these lines 25 years ago. And a girl came up to me who she was 24, 25 at that time. And she was crying and she said, I am so glad you said this. When she was 13 years old, she got born again in the church. And when she got born again, uh, she just you know, confessed everything to the Lord. And it came out in the open that her grandfather who lived with them had sexually abused her every day of her life since she was five years old until she was 13. She had been raped every day of her life from, uh, for eight years or so. And when she got born again, she got so forgiven, she told her parents, she forgave her grandfather, and she was just a new person, and she was delivered from it. No pain, no agony. Well, her parents found out about it, got so mad at the grandfather that they kicked him out of the home, which that may not have been wrong to get him out of the home if he'd been abusing their child. But they got mad at her, and because she wasn't hurt, and because she wouldn't admit that her whole life was scarred, and she wouldn't go to counseling and accept that she had to be an emotional cripple the rest of her life, 
they kicked her out of the house. And by the time she was 15 or 16, they kicked her out of the house. There was so much strife. And she had been living for over 10 years on her own. And she says, nobody will believe that Jesus set me free. But she says, I'm not scarred. I'm not angry. I'm free. And see, psychology today doesn't acknowledge that you can become a new person and that Jesus can set you free. And they teach that you're going to have to bear these things. You know, if, I, if psychology would have been around when my dad died and I was 12 years old, I probably would have had problems, but I didn't know you're supposed to have problems. I didn't know that if you grow up without a dad that you can't be normal. And you know what? I never did rebel. I, my mother played, paid me a great compliment not long ago and said, you know, you never gave me an ounce of problem. You never rebel. I never went through rebellion. I never did any of that stuff. And I grew out with, up without a dad. There's a lot of people that just believe that can't happen. They do not believe that God gave us the ability to choose, that you just have to respond. And so we don't accept any responsibility. We're always looking. It's this person that did this. You did this. And that's what made me this way. And I guarantee you this is prevalent, not only in our society, but it's prevalent in the church today. And I'm convinced that there's people sitting right in these seats who you haven't rightly diagnosed the problem. You're still pointing the finger, it's this person, it's what they did to me, and you haven't accepted your own responsibility. And let me just tell you that as long as somebody else is the problem and you're the victim, you can never get free. You will be a victim the rest of your life. Part of freedom is accepting responsibility and changing you. You can't change another person. You can't change your mate. There are people that will teach that if you'll just live right, you can make your mate this perfect person. It's not so. You can't control anybody. Your authority ends at the end of your nose. You cannot change anybody. And if you ever get a tape set that says seven ways to change your mate, it's witchcraft. It's not God. God does not force people to do things against their will. Now, that's not to say that you have no influence. If you live a godly life, I guarantee you that will become very attractive and you can influence, but ultimately they have a choice. And that's the reason that the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when it was talking to husbands and wife, and it says, you know, if, if your mate is pleased to dwell with you, then don't depart because how do you know, old man, whether you will save your wife? Or how do you know, old wife, whether you will save your Husband, he didn't say you have a promise that you can guarantee that they're going to get saved. There is no such promise. You can't force anybody to do anything, but you can influence them and you ought to stay there and be the witness that you should be. We've incorrectly thought that you can just make people do things and and it's other people and if this person, but you can't do that. The only person you have authority over is yourself. And so if you refuse to accept your part of the problem, And if you don't deal with yourself, then you really put yourself in a compromising, powerless position because you're the only one that you have absolute authority over. You're the only one that you can change 100%. So you've got to rightly diagnose the problem. And the very first place to look is to see if you're the problem. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 7. This is exactly what Jesus was telling us to do. In Matthew chapter 7... In verse 1 it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, I'm not going to teach everything that there is to say out of these passages. This is really a powerful passage of Scripture. But let me just say that this does not mean that you don't ever judge. On the surface it might look that way. But then there's other Scriptures where Peter said, Judge yourself what is right for us to do. If you're a pastor of a church, you're commanded to judge them that are within because God judges them that are without. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we are commanded to judge and discern certain things. This isn't telling you not to judge. What this is saying is be careful how you judge. You have to make judgments. You're listening to me right now and you know whether you know it or not, you're making a judgment. Is this right or is it wrong? Am I going to change my thinking or am I going to... That's a judgment. You know, if you walk down an alley and if you see a bunch of guys standing there with spiked hair and tattoos all over and they're all wearing gothic black and they all got knives in their hands, somebody say, well, you shouldn't judge. I'm going to judge. 
I'm going to make a judgment that, you know what, maybe I ought to move another direction. Maybe I ought to turn. And you have to make judgments all of the time. When somebody calls and says, you know, I'm, I'm selling something, you have to make a judgment. Is this right or wrong? Are they conning me? There is, you've got to make judgments. This has been misrepresented, and sometimes people will say, well, you shouldn't judge not that you be not judged. And the uh, unbelievers and religious people will use this against you to keep you from having an opinion. How dare you say that homosexuality is wrong? No, you are supposed to judge. You just need to make sure that your judgment is the right judgment is what this is saying. It's saying, remember that the same judgment that you used, if you're prejudiced, if you're biased, you're going to reap what you sow. It's not telling you not to judge. It's telling you to judge righteously, to judge correctly. And that's, anyway, there's a lot more that could be said on that. But he goes on to say in verse 4, he says, um, did I read verse 3? Verse 3, it says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. This is telling you that when you start discerning the situation, What's causing this? Why are we having these problems? You need to always start with evaluating yourself. Now there's a balance to this. You can get so that you're so down on yourself that you're always the problem and you won't be honest. Did you know that it takes a person, a strong person, to admit sometimes it's not my fault. Somebody else has done something. There's a balance to this. I'm going to probably be on the other side of this issue mostly tonight because I believe that's where most people are. Very few people are honest with themselves and they've just learned how to blame other people. But, but you do need to be righteous enough, honest enough, that you know if you aren't the problem, you just admit that you aren't the problem. But the first thing that you ought to consider is am I the problem? You need to first of all deal with your own problem before you go to criticizing anybody else. And you know, if we would just follow this guideline, you're going to find out that most of the time that there's problems, it's not one-sided. It's usually both people. It's a combination of things. And if you would just deal with yourself, which is the only one that you have the authority to deal with, you don't have the authority to deal with other people. It usually goes over about like that. Most people don't believe that. Most people believe that, man, you've got the authority to go up to anybody and tell them things. You know, if you would learn, I teach these things in our Bible school, and every year I'm just shocked. People come to me, I've never heard this. I've never thought this stuff before. They're just shocked. And yet these are things that I don't even know exactly how I learned them, but they are life lessons that to me are some of the most critical life lessons that some people don't know. They just think that they have the right to go up and critique anybody and say what's right and wrong and tell you this and tell you that. And they are quick to give their opinion and tell people that I don't like the way you've done this. Did you know you don't have the right to do that to anybody? You have to earn the right to speak into a person's life. And they have to open up and invite your criticism and critique into their life. If you don't believe that, that's one of the reasons you don't get along with people is because you're quick to judge and give your opinion and nobody wanted it. You know, I had a guy come up to me one time in Kansas City and he started railing on me for the way that Jamie dressed. And Jamie always dresses great. There's nothing immodest about her, but he was a religious person who believed that if you wore any gold or any makeup or anything like this, you know, that you were lost and going to hell. And so he started railing on Jamie for the way that she dressed. And he was just, you need to straighten your wife out. You need to do And I just stopped and I, I stopped him right in the middle. And I said, who died and made you God? And he just looked at me and he says, what do you mean? I said, what right do you have to tell me anything about my wife? What? The Bible. And I said, I don't care what the Bible says. I trust the Bible and I submit to God. But what right do you have to come preach to me about any of this? And he says, well, and I said, you are nobody. I said, you're, you're nobody. I don't give a rip about your opinion. And this guy just got offended and looked at me. And I said, you know, I just don't care what you think. You don't have any business to come tell me 
your opinion of my wife. And he got mad and stomped off. But I believe that's absolutely true. You can't just walk up and start rebuking a person. This is one of the reasons I believe that our method of evangelism that we use is so ineffective because we go up and start telling people, you're going to hell and you need to do this, and you, you never even introduced yourself. They don't even know who you are. They don't like you. They don't want to hear you. just butted your way into their life, and it's offensive, and it's against everything, and it's really very awkward. Now, God uses it because people aren't preaching the gospel, and so there's people that have been born again by doing that. I can't say it's all totally wrong, but I'm saying it's abnormal. It's not the way that God meant it. You ought to, first of all, win a person to yourself and then win them to the Lord. And people open up and they invite you. And it's not always in words. They don't sign a contract and says, would you please tell me if you see anything wrong? But you know what? Over a period of time, as you build relationships, people open up. And start giving you freedom as a friend to speak into their life. I tell my students this all the time. That you know what? I've been in ministry since I can remember. And I have dealt with thousands, tens of thousands of people. And there are people that come into the school. And I see things about them. You know, there's personality types. And I can tell you people that have attitudes. And I've seen this attitude destroy other people. And I've seen things happen. And I know patterns. I know things that are going on. And there's things about our students that I know. And I never say anything to them. And some people thought, well, you should. No. You know, they have to open up and give me that right. Now, when they come to school, to a degree they are submitted to me because they came to my school. And so I have certain controls. You know, if they're going to dress inappropriately, we've got dress codes. If they're going to do certain things, if they've got, we've got certain standards of morality, and if they violate those, I or, or Wayne, usually down here, will deal with that, and we'll straighten things out. And so we control certain things. But you know what? I don't follow my students home, and I don't watch them day and night and control everything. And because, I, you know, they're overeating, and they didn't comb their hair, they aren't really... Uh, taking care of themselves the way they should. There are just certain things that we haven't assumed responsibility for. And unless that student builds a relationship with me and invites me into their life, I'm not going to tell them everything that I know about them. And every time I say that, students come up, well, would you please tell me? You know, it's some of this is based on relationship, and it's not just like... Joe Blow up off the street can come up and all of a sudden I'm going to speak into your life. I've got to have some relationship with you. I'm not going to come in and start telling you that you aren't treating your wife right when you don't know me and I don't know you. So the point that I'm making is that you know what? You don't have authority over everybody else. Most of us really have our thinking screwed up in the area of relationships and we go out and try and control and tell other people and you got to do this when the truth is you really don't have very much control except over yourself. If you're an employer, then your employees yield a certain degree of control to you. But you know what? I've got employees that have had problems in their home and it's not the way that I'd like it to be, but they're a good worker. The things that they are submitted to me in, they're doing good, and I don't follow them home. And because they don't do something right at home, I'm not going to critique them and rebuke them. It's none of my business. Well, that's not the way I operate. It's obvious. (laughs) And that's the reason you can't maintain a relationship with anybody, because you're manipulative and controlling and domineering. Thank you for that thunderous silence. So the point that I'm making is you don't have the authority, even over your wife. Did you know you don't have authority over your wife? You don't have authority over your husband. Now, technically, for a marriage to work, you ought to yield yourself 100% to your mate, and they ought to, but it's really voluntary on their part. And if they aren't doing it, then you can't go in and demand it. It's a gift. It's voluntary. And anytime you start throwing your weight around and up, you've got to do this, I guarantee you, you're dividing that marriage and you're putting uh, wedges between you and your mate, and that's part of the problems that you've got. That's not the right way to operate. So the point that I'm making is you look first in your own eye. If you've got this huge timber sticking out of your eye, then you don't need to go looking at the speck that's in somebody else's eye. You need to quit blaming everybody else for everything and you need to recognize that there is a lot of responsibility that goes towards you. 
And here's a little variation on what I'm talking about, but it's, it's actually the same truth. Did you know that a lot of offenses that people take were never intended? You got a chip on your shoulder. You've been hurt before by somebody else and you never got over that hurt and you're transposing these problems onto everybody else. We've had employees before that had men abuse them, physically abuse them. They hated men and so they had an attitude and I guarantee you somebody comes up and just says, good morning, you look nice today and sexual harassment. Nobody harassed them. Nobody did anything. They had a chip on their shoulder. They hurt and they misjudged the situation. And if you would have asked them, oh, there's terrible problems going on, when the truth was nothing was going on except in their head or in their heart. And you know what? There's a lot of people that you are just convinced that you are having problems and the problems that you're having are with yourself. Nobody intended to offend you. You took an unintended offense. And this happens a lot. I mean a whole lot. And I believe that in a sense, this is what this is talking about. Judge not that you be not judged. You know, it's not incorrect for you to say that what you did offended me. That's not incorrect. But where you miss it and where you violate this scripture is when you start judging why that person did what they did And you don't know why they did what they did. I've had pastors before come to me and people have split their church because they didn't say hi to them. Normally they would just, you know, say hi to them and go out of their way to be friendly, but maybe, you know, somebody died in the church and they came out, they just got a call and their mind was focused on that and they just literally spaced everything out and they walked right by one of their best friends, didn't speak to them, and the person took an offense Now, it might not be wrong for them to say, Pastor, you didn't speak to me. Is something wrong? That may not be wrong, but it's wrong when you start saying, I know why they didn't speak to me. It's because they don't like me anymore. Now you've moved over into judging and you've become a discerner of why they did that. You can judge that, you know what, I don't like what this person did. But when you start deciding why they did what they did, you've moved over into judging and you aren't, you're violating these scriptures. Just last month, some of you aren't going to understand what I'm saying. You'd probably be offended by this. But just last month, we had a, a gospel truth seminar. And at 5.50 in the morning, I had a woman call our room. She wasn't supposed to be able to get our room, but she did somehow. And she got me up at 5.50 in the morning and she was crying. Her daughter was sick and wanted me to come pray for her. And I said, well, you know, is, can it wait? Because we didn't go to bed until midnight or something like that. And uh, that was on a Saturday morning. I was going to minister all Saturday morning until 3.30 in the afternoon to have a two-hour break and then go back and do it again. And uh, anyway, I just said, you know, can it wait? I've got other people. Is there somebody? No, you've got to come pray for them right now. And you know what? I had to tell this woman. I said, I can't do it. I'm not going to get out of bed and come pray for your daughter. And she said she could be dying. And I said, I can't do it. And some of you don't understand that. And, you know, in the past, I've had people call me in the middle of the night, and I've got up in the middle of the night, and I've gone and prayed for people. But I'm to a place now to where I'm ministering so much. Like last October, I I ministered for a whole week, all week long in Charlotte, North Carolina. I came home, and I had two weeks at home, and I ministered 35 times in seven days. And then I had... Friday, or I had uh, a little bit of time off, a day off or something. And then in the next five days, I ministered 37 times in five days. And I just burned a candle at both ends, and I finally had to literally crawl in bed. I hurt so bad. I just couldn't get out of bed. I crawled into bed and didn't come out for three days. And I wasn't sick. I was just worn out. And you know what? I had some people prophesy to me two weeks before that if I don't slow down, you know what? I'm not invincible and that I've got to pace myself. And they prophesied to me and I thought, well, I'm going to do that after these things. (laughs) And you know what? I just came face to face with my mortality and realized I'm just a person. And as hard as this may sound, I see some people would think, well, you didn't get up and go minister to a little girl who possibly could have had something seriously wrong with her. 
But you know what? You don't understand that I've got, it's a marathon. It's not a 50-yard sprint. I've got to pace myself. And if I got up and if I didn't do some things like we try and not let people be able to call my hotel room, I've had people call me at 2 and 3 in the morning and say, I know you're up. I just saw you on television. (laughs) And if I didn't take some steps to protect myself, I guarantee you I might minister to a few people, but then the thousands, hundreds of thousands that are still out there to minister to in the future, I wouldn't be able to reach them. And I made a decision... And I didn't go pray for somebody who wanted prayer. And you know what? That woman got mad at me. And I said, you know, I'll be available. I'll I'll be down there two hours before the meeting to meet with you. I offered to meet with her early. She never showed up. I never saw her. And I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know for sure what happened. But I wouldn't be surprised if that woman didn't take an offense and get mad at me. And none was intended. But she misunderstood. She may not have liked what I did. But then she went to judging that the reason I didn't do it is because I didn't care about her daughter. And you know what? That's not true. In some ways, I probably would have been just as good to get up and go pray for her because I lay in bed for the next two hours thinking about it and praying for her and praying that God wouldn't, that she wouldn't be offended over it. And some people don't understand why you do what they do. They may not like what you do, but it's wrong for you to judge and figure out this is why this person has done this. Man, I meet this all of the time. I meet people that have got a chip on their shoulder. They just have an attitude. The whole world hates them. And all you got to do is just walk by them and be thinking about somebody else besides them. I mean, God forbid that somebody other than you is the most important thing on the face of the earth and that I could actually be thinking about something besides you and walk by and not intending to snub you. It's just that I was thinking of something else. (laughs) That's impossible. I mean... You're the center of the universe. Everybody ought to bow down when they see you coming. You know what? If you've got that kind of an attitude, you're going to take offense. You're going to be offended. If you're the kind that has to just be stroked constantly. We had a guy recently quit. And then he cried. They asked him, what's wrong? I thought you was going to ask me to stay. He didn't want to quit. We escorted him out of the building. You know what? We don't need people like that working for us. And he's probably going to be offended. You know what? No offense was intended. There are people who wear, that have an attitude and some of you are convinced that you've got a problem and you do, but it's you. It's not the other person. And you know what? You need to be honest enough to say, is it me that has taken offense? Is it me that has amplified something that has blown it out of proportion? Have I just... Have I misunderstood something? You know, a person cuts you off in traffic and you're absolutely convinced that they don't care. They're just rude. You know exactly what time... Have you ever had somebody do something, pull out in front of traffic, do something, and then... As you start passing them, you look over there to see if they got horns or you know exactly what. You just know that this is bound to be some terrible person. And you look at them and they're just as normal looking as possible. But you're, you're convinced that this part, you know, you just, you know what that is? It's just total self-centeredness. You don't ever think about the fact that maybe this person just came from the doctor and has been told that they've got a week to live or that somebody else is going to die. Or maybe they just are getting a divorce something or another, or maybe they've been fired, or maybe they were just so occupied that they forgot to use their blinker. Maybe their blinker was broken. That's what Jamie says. When somebody pulls in front of us, she says, oh, look, his blinker's broke. But no, we're just sure that they did it on purpose to spite us and we know exactly what type of person that is. Now, of course, you do the same thing, but you you don't expect anybody to judge you on your actions. It's your intent that you want them to judge you on, but you judge everybody else very quickly. on. You know exactly why they did what they did and what kind of person they are. You know what? If that's the type of person you are, you are taking offense lots of times when no offense is intended. 
I'd intended to go way further tonight, but you know what? I just feel like I hit a nerve. <laughs> Need to camp here a little bit. But I'm telling you that there are some of you that are offended over things that you shouldn't be offended over. You know, one of the things that helped me in my ministry, and this was a turning point in our ministry, because my background, I've mentioned this before, I was an introvert. I was shy, and I didn't like talking in front of people. I couldn't even say hi to a person that I didn't already know. And here God's called me to minister to millions of people and be on television and do things. And so even though I started ministering, I still had those tendencies. I mean, today, if I was to indulge my flesh, I'm the kind that would just want to not talk to people. And so um, I have to force myself to get out of that and to be different than what my natural tendencies are. But anyway, the point is that when I started ministering, I was doing things that in the natural I couldn't do. But you know what? I had a tendency to worry about what are people thinking about me and are people offended and things like this. And I remember one time going to Kansas City and there was a couple who every time we had a meeting, they were always sitting on the front row. I mean, they would get there two hours early to get the front row. They were always there. They never missed a meeting. Never. And the year I'd, I went there twice a year for many years and six months before I had called this couple out and given them a prophecy that wasn't one of these vague prophecies that you know anybody would see it fulfilled. It was specific. And either it was going to be God or I just totally missed it. And so when I went back and held this next meeting, they weren't there. And you know what started happening? I started thinking, oh man, I bet you I said something that didn't come to pass. I bet you that they are probably thinking he's a false prophet. These people have been at every meeting I've had here for years and now they're not here. And I started thinking about this and thinking about, I bet you they've talked about me. They probably told people that I'm a false prophet. And You know, in my mind, I just mulled this thing over for 24 hours until the next night's service and the next night, they were some of the first people sitting right there on the front row. And they came up and they said, oh, we're so sorry we missed. We had a death in the family. If you're anywhere within 100 miles, we'll always be there. And you know what? There was nothing wrong. And I took an offense and had to pray over that when there was no offense intended. And the Lord, right about that time, was showing me in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture says that a, a, a minister, a bishop, is supposed to be sober. The word sober there doesn't mean not drunk. It means, the word sober means void of speculative imaginations. It's a qualification of a minister that you have to be void of speculating. Or a scriptural terminology would be judging why people do what they do. And I guarantee you this is where a lot of us miss it. Somebody does something... And you, you jump to a conclusion about why they did it and you get to thinking that it's rejection. And you know what? You can't live your life that way. And like I said, this was my natural bent and tendency. So as I began to start pastoring churches and you would just pour your life into people and then they'd get up and leave and never tell you why they left. I bet you Lawson, other people who are pastors here have, have been through this. It's just human nature, I guess, to, to take it personally and you know what? This person's mad at me. This person doesn't like me. And it may have nothing to do with you. But you get to speculating. Why did this person do what they've done? And man, I couldn't tell you the number of times I've worried about things and then later, just like this couple, found out that nothing was intended. I don't know why people do what they do and I'm not smart enough to figure it out. Outside of a word from God, unless God gives me a word of knowledge, I'm not going to try and figure out why you do what you do. And so, you know, I just came to a place, and I told my church in Pritchett, Colorado, when I was pastoring there, I, this is when the Lord showed me that. And I said, from now on, I am not reading between the lines. I am not taking hints. I'm not going to go by the cold shoulder treatment. I don't care what you do, I am not going to let you rent space in my mind. I said, I am going to assume that everything's fine if you don't tell me. And I just made a decision to live my life that way. And you know what? I've had people that I know. Later on, I found out that they're mad at me. But I'm not going to think about it, and I'm not going to read between the lines, and I'm not going to speculate about what you think. 
You can't live your life that way. And if you're the kind that does and you're so worried about what everybody's thinking about you, if you are such an insecure person that you have to constantly have everybody tell you you're wonderful and that you're doing a good job and you've got to get constant affirmation, I can guarantee you, you're the type of person that takes offense when none is intended. And let me just go another step. Some of you won't like this one, but I believe this to be true. That in marriage... Women, of course, are more affectionate as a whole. This is a general statement, but women are more affectionate than men. Women like to be told that they're loved more than a man does. A man will say, I love you when they get married, and 20 years later says, I told you I loved you, and I, I never retracted it. Isn't that good enough? You know, for a guy, what's wrong with you? I told you when we got married that I loved you. But you know what? For a woman, that's not good enough. And so, because men have different... Uh, motivations than women. This is the reason, I don't know if you've ever studied this, but in Ephesians chapter 5, the scripture tells the women to respect their husband or reverence their husband and tells the husband to love his wife. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but it is natural for a man to respect. You know, this is why men can go to war and they can fight beside each other and they hate this person. They don't like anything about him. But they respect him. They know he's a good soldier and they can trust their life and men can work together and they don't have to have a warm fuzzy. <laughs> but women, I don't, like, I don't like the way they dress. I don't like this. And they get offended and they, they just can't. I don't feel good about this. You know, guys as a whole aren't like that. Guys don't give a rip what they feel like. They're going to get the job done and if this guy's a good worker, they'll work with him and it's okay. So anyway, guys tend to relate on respect level. Women want an emotional connection. That's the exact reason that the woman was commanded to reverence, respect, because it's not normal. You will give love and affection and yet the whole time tear your husband down about, oh, don't you try and repair it. Uh, It'll never work again if you fix it. Let's just call somebody. Oh, don't try and do it. And you don't think a thing about it because you'll hug them and you'll tell them, oh, I just think you're wonderful and you'll give them these emotional things and you think, well, isn't that good enough? Because that's what you want. But you know what? A man wants respect. And even if he knows that you love him, if he feels that you don't respect him, a guy is not going to be pleased. So that's the reason that God commanded the woman to respect the husband, and he commanded the husband to love his wife because a man will sit there and respect her. He'll go out and work, provide for her, put food on the table, protect her. If somebody tried to hurt her, he would stand there and defend her, but he may not be affectionate. And so he gives a woman what he wants, respect, and that's not really what she wants. And so the Lord told the man to love the wife, go out of your way to love. Be affectionate. Show emotion. Told the woman to go out of your way to respect and not tear down your husband. So anyway, here's my point in saying all of that. Because people don't understand this, you sit there and your husband forgot the birthday or forgot the anniversary or something and you're disappointed. There's nothing wrong with you being disappointed in saying to your husband, you know what, I'd like you to remember our wedding anniversary. There's nothing wrong with you saying that. But you know what's wrong is when you sit there and get offended and say, I know why they didn't remember our wedding anniversary. It's because they don't love me. And you start imputing and judging their actions and you are taking offense where none is attended. And you get your feelings hurt. And you know, most marriage seminars today, it's all about how you're supposed to treat your wife and the wife about how she's supposed to treat your husband. And what they're trying to do is get everybody to treat each other right. And to a degree, that's okay because all of us could treat our mate better than what we do. So we all need to improve. But if that's what you are waiting on, is your mate to treat you right, and then you're going to have a good relationship, you are headed down a dead-end street. Because I can guarantee you every person, every person, every person in here is going to fail. There's not a one of you that's going to love your wife the way that they want to be loved completely. There's not a woman in here that will reverence her husband as the church reverences Christ. We're ultimately all going to fail. And if your marriage is waiting 
on the other person to get their act together and then everything's going to be fine, you're never going to have a good marriage. You're going to have to give the other person a lot of grace. And, you're, and one of the ways you do it is by quit judging. You, you might not like some of the things they do. That's okay. But quit judging why they do it and imputing unto them that they do it because they don't love you and you make things worse. And you know what? If you would be honest, one of the reasons that your mate probably treats you the way that they treat you is because of the way you treated them. Usually, you cause the reaction that you dislike. I'll deal with that more tomorrow night. I got some more to say about that. But anyway, you've got to judge who's right and who's wrong. Where's the problem in this situation? And most of us look at ourselves last when the Scripture says, first, cast the beam out of your own eye before you look for a speck in somebody else's life. And I tell you, we've got a lot of wounded, hurt people. And hurt people hurt other people. And so they just... They are going around, and I honestly have met a number of people that there's no way I can ever satisfy them. I'm going to offend them. It doesn't matter what I do. They will be offended. And you know, the Scripture says, as much as lies within you, Romans chapter 12, I believe, verse 8, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. You can't live peaceably with all men. There are some people who are going to take offense regardless. Jesus was the greatest example of love that the world has ever had. And there was people that hated him, and he didn't go around. You know, his disciples came to him. Don't you know that the scribes and the Pharisees were offended because you said this? And he says, leave them alone. They're the blind leading the blind. They'll both fall in the ditch. He didn't go back and say, oh, I'm sorry that I offended you. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood... You have no life. And they said, are you speaking of cannibalism? Are we supposed to eat? And instead of explaining himself, he says, Verily I say unto you, he that doesn't eat my flesh and doesn't drink my blood has no life in him. He didn't explain it. He made it worse. I got a letter just this last week. Somebody who had been a partner of ours for a long time. And so David gave it to me because this guy has been a partner and he's been a part of the ministry. And he started off his letter saying, I love you and I appreciate you, but you said this. And he got very upset over it. And so they sent this letter to me. And you know what I prayed about? And what he got offended over, I didn't. It's not what I believe. Now, I may not have explained myself properly, but it's also possible that he just took it wrong. And I have in the past gone back and explained myself to some people, but with this guy, I just got to thinking, you know, where do I start? This is a complicated issue, and I just really felt in my heart that this guy is the kind that takes offense over things. And you know what? If I settle this issue, then next year he's going to have another issue and it's just going to be an unending process. And so I just let it go. I didn't even respond to it. I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't know where to start. And this guy's probably got an offense. But you know what? I just, I can't solve every person. I can't spend my life paranoid about, is this person upset with me? I don't like rejection. I would like for every one of you to have the greatest week of your life that you've ever had at this conference and for God to speak things into your life that transform. I'd love to have every person leave here saying, man, this has transformed my life. It doesn't bless me when people get upset and say, well, I didn't get anything. But you know what? If you come up to me tonight and say, I disagree with everything you say, I hate it. That's not going to bless me, but it's not going to keep me up. I'll sleep good tonight. Because you know what? I've just learned that God loves me and that I'm seeking to serve God as much as I can and I just can't control what everybody else thinks and I quit trying. And it's not up to me to justify myself. God will take care of it. That's a secure person. But there's other people that are so insecure that if somebody doesn't like them, their life is just in shambles. They fall apart like a $2 suitcase because somebody doesn't love them. You know what? You can't praise God with your thumb in your mouth. you got to pull your thumb out of your mouth 
if you want to praise God and start doing things right. And you just got to grow up and deal with some stuff. And I'm telling you that with most cases, most cases, it is never the other person that is the total problem. There's usually a partial problem, at least on the end of receiving it. The reason it's bothered you so much is because of your own insecurities and stuff like this. And so the very first place that you need to look when there's problems is, is it me? And you need to start being honest and candid and quit blaming everybody else because as long as other people are your problems, you can't change another person. If it's society that's your problems, you can't change society. If it's the church that's your problem, you can't change the church. I talked to a couple last night that are in a church and they were struggling and what can I do? And I said, are you the pastor? No. I said, really, there's not much you can do. I said, you can pray and you can influence to a degree. But I said, I pastored three churches and I bet you those that are pastors here tonight would verify this, that for a pastor to change the church takes a great miracle of God. Man, a pastor can preach his heart out and do everything they want to. And it's a miracle if those people change. And if you aren't the pastor, I can guarantee you, you aren't going to change the church. And so you're trying to take responsibility for something that's not your responsibility. I have people come to me all the time and tell me things. And what about, have you heard what's going on in the United States? What about this senator? What about that? You know what? That's not my responsibility. I have a responsibility as a citizen to vote and to vote in ways that I believe will honor God. Righteousness exalts a nation. So I accept that responsibility. But you know what? I can't change this nation. What I can do is change individuals. I know where my strength lies. It's in preaching the gospel and helping people quit pointing the finger at everybody else and deal with their own self. And as we change individual lives, if people get to listening to God, then this nation will change. We'll quit voting in ungodly people who vote for ungodly things. That's where my focus is. And I know where my authority is. And so I just don't worry about stuff that I have no authority over. That's crazy. That's a recipe for disaster. I just deal with what I have authority over, and basically that's me. Amen? My authority ends at the end of my nose, and I just do what God called me to do. And I tell you, it's a great way to live. You sleep good at night. You don't take offenses. And so when you are trying to evaluate what the situation is, the first thing you need to look at is, is it me? And if you want to walk in love with other people, you're going to have to start dealing with this fact that, you know what, a lot of offense is all offense that you made, and even when you are something is done to you wrong, a lot of the problem lies with you. The reason you were so hurt was because you were codependent upon this person in the first place. You weren't strong in the grace of the Lord. And if you would just take your authority and praise God, it shouldn't have bothered you the way that it did. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. And if you don't lean on anybody but Jesus, you'll never be let down. And so, you know what, you need to accept your responsibility and you need to first of all deal with yourself because you're the only one that you have 100% control over. And if you would start from that position, you'd find out that a lot of stuff just isn't really that big of a deal. You've made it a big deal. I had a student come to me. I'm going to quit with this. I know I've got to quit. But I'm going to quit with this. I had a student come to me one time, and this guy came in on a Monday morning, and he was crying, and he came into my office. And I said, what is it now? Because this guy always had a problem. He always, something was always bothering this guy. And so it was just like, what is it now? And he just was crying. He says, I went to church yesterday. This was church for all nations. He says, I wanted to listen to the Word. I was trying to listen to Pastor Mark Coward. And he says, two women were sitting in front of me and they were talking and whispering back and forth the whole surface and Satan stole the Word from me. I couldn't hear the Word. And he was just crying because he wasn't able to hear the Word. I had just gotten off the phone with a friend of mine who had lost his wife that he had been married to for 50-something years. I had just heard that she had died and I called to see how he was doing. And here was this guy who had just lost his 
wife of 50 years, and he was just praising God and saying, God is good. Man, God has taken care of me. I'm praising God. Here he was dealing with the death of a person he had lived with for 50 years, and he was still rejoicing. And then, in contrast, here's this guy who had two women whispering in front of him, and he was crying because of it. And I tell you what, I just wanted to drop kick him right off the earth. <laughs> Boom! I mean, just like... It was all I could do to keep from just the spirit of slap coming all over me to deal with this guy. And I looked at him and I said, why didn't you move? He never thought of that. He was praying and rebuking the devil and binding the devil and commanding them to shut up. He even tapped him on the shoulder. He never thought about moving. I said, why didn't you move? This guy went down to Mexico and flipped out. Went down there with Bobby Crow, the guy that's our contact in Mexico, and went down there and tried to kill Bobby Crow. They had to restrain him and put him, turn him into the police, and the guy's weird. And brothers and sisters, I guarantee you, there's some of us that you get upset over things that you shouldn't be upset over. It's, it's because there's such a vacuum on the inside that things bother you that shouldn't be bothering you. You'll hear talk about, oh, it's so bad for kids today. It's so tough. Kids have it so rough. Man, I don't agree with that at all. I do not agree with that. You know, I've got a friend over in England, Trevor Lancashire. He's now on my board of directors. And Trevor, when I think he was four years old, it was during the bombing of London during World War II, and Trevor and hundreds, thousands of young kids were taken out into the countryside and they lived in that cold English climate in the winter in tents. Hundreds and hundreds in a field with one or two adults around to supervise. And they lived that way for years until the bombing was over. You know what? That's stress. That's pressure but having to compete with your friend who their shoes light up when they walk and yours don't. And yours don't have a designer logo on the pocket and because of it you're just traumatized and this justifies you being a rapist and a murderer. I tell you what, those aren't real problems. The only reason they're problems are because people have made them problems. They put the emphasis on things that don't count. And there are some of you that honestly, and I'm saying this in love, but you think everybody else is your problem. And I'm not saying that people won't rub you the wrong way. People will rub you the wrong way. But just normal life is destroying some of you because you're just so shallow. And you're always, you are wanting things and you've got hurts and stuff that you are transposing onto other people. And you're going to be offended the rest of your life if you don't deal with the beam that's in your own eye and quit trying to get everybody else's speck out of their eye. You need to deal with what's on the inside of you. You need to deal with what makes you hurt instead of the things that people do to you that touch that spot that's already sensitive. I tell you what, if you would start with yourself, usually you don't have to go very much further. You don't have to deal with everybody else. It's not everybody else that's your problem. It's what's on the inside of you that allows everybody else to get to you. The reason that you have to have so much acceptance from other people is the problem. The reason that you can't stand somebody cutting you off in traffic without you losing your temper. That's, there's something seriously wrong with you. The reason that you can't stand to wait in line, I mean, if you have to wait five minutes for your food, you're going to be in somebody's face telling them about the service and how dare you do this and all this. you got a problem. Is that to say that you don't ever? You know, I, I think that if you went into a, a restaurant and if they were known for good service and somebody gave you bad service, well, you know, the owner would appreciate you saying something. And I'm not saying that you don't ever say or do anything, but I'm saying the attitude with most people... I went, Jamie and I went out with some preachers in Denver one time, and I honestly got embarrassed. 
And I apologized to the waitress for the way a preacher acted. He sent the food back three or four times, demanded the manager to come, and he read the riot act and got mad and embarrassed everybody at the table, and there was nothing wrong with the food. There was something wrong with him. Picky, picky, picky. And there are some of you that think it's everybody else that's the problem, and it's you that's the problem. You need to, first of all, rule that out and make sure that you aren't the problem before you go any further. Amen or oh me. I've got a companion teaching that is everybody's favorite title out there entitled Self-Centeredness, The Root of All Grief. And it would really bless you. It's a little little, uh, booklet, and the title's not real positive, but I tell you what, it is a perfect follow-up to what I was talking about here. And if you would read that and let God speak to you through it, you'd find out that you can't change everybody else, but you can change what's on the inside of you that makes you offended by everybody else. You're the only one that you can control. Amen? And I tell you, this would really help you. Praise God. So that's the first option. I didn't get very far. We'll deal with the others. Hopefully tomorrow we'll go a little bit further. Amen? Father, we love you and we just thank you for the truth. And Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for speaking the truth. I know that some people this has offended them and maybe hurt them to a degree, but in their heart they're bearing witness and the Holy Spirit's speaking to them. And we just humble ourselves and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Father, we humble ourselves and say, forgive us for judging everybody else and jumping to conclusions. Forgive us for not being sober, void of speculative imaginations. Forgive us for judging why people have done what they've done. Father, forgive us for our own insecurities and the fact that we are so dependent upon everybody else when we should be dependent upon you. Father, I just lead people in this auditorium in a prayer of repentance for worrying about the speck in everybody else's eye when there's this huge beam coming out of our eye. And Father, we repent of the things on the inside of us. Father, we welcome you to come and help us get over this selfishness and over these wrong attitudes and things that have held us in bondage. Father, for people that have been hurt before, I mean justifiable things done wrong, but they have just allowed this hurt to go on in their life and they haven't got over it. They haven't gotten healed. Father, we release the anointing of the Holy Spirit here tonight to flow and to touch those things and to just a miracle. The Bible says in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. There are some of you that have had your heart broken because of things and you have just stayed in that state and you take offense, you get hurt so easily, even when people don't intend to hurt you, you get hurt because your heart was broken before. That's not justification to continue to live that way. The anointing of the Lord is present here to heal the brokenhearted. You do not have to live that way. You are not supposed to limp the rest of your life with these problems. This is a word from God for many people in here who have harbored and embraced hurts and you've accepted what psychology says that you can never be over it. I'm telling you the nearly too good to be true news that you can be so set free that it's just as if it never happened to you. That it's not going to affect you. It's not going to taint everything that happens in your life for the rest of your life. The Lord can set you free right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord.